Forget every idea of right and wrong any classroom ever taught you. Because an empty heart, a tormented mind, unkindness, jealousy, and fear are always the testimony you have been completely fooled. Turn your back on those who would imprison your wondrous spirit with deceit and lies. Come join the honest company of the king's beggars, those gamblers, scoundrels, and divine clowns, and those astonishing fair courtesans who need divine love every night. Come join the courageous who have no choice but to bet their entire world that indeed, indeed, God is real. I will lead you into the circle of the beloved's cunning thieves, those playful rogues, the ones you can trust for true guidance, who can aid you in this blessed calamity of life. Hafiz, look at the perfect one at the circle's center. He spins and whirls like a golden compass beyond all that is rational. To show this dear world that everything, everything in existence does point to God. Welcome to the Fabled Remedies podcast number six. Exploring the invisible, stories, rituals, and relics of the unseen. As always, we invite you to join us on a silly and sacred journey into the mysterious. Our goal at Fabled Remedies is to create a safe community to explore far-out ideas and celebrate the wisdom in the weird. My name is Grizzly, and with me as always, my lovely co-host and fellow fabulous, Lucy. Hello, hello. On today's show, we are delving into the mystical world of the invisible, and we are so excited to take this adventure with you all. But first, we just want to take a moment to remind you to please follow, like, and subscribe to our podcast and share our projects with the people that you love. You can find links to everything we do at fabledremedies.com. It really means the world to us, and we want to continue to build our community and be able to put out original content for you all. Also, please contact us with any strange stories or topics you would like to see on the show. Today, Lucy opened up the podcast with a spiritual banger, and I really love this one. So go ahead and tell the audience a little bit more about that. Totally. That was a piece called The Golden Compass by one of my all-time favorites, the 14th century Sufi mystic Hafiz. Also, some places it's written as Hafez. I don't know. I originally encountered his work in a book that said Hafiz on the cover, so that's what I say. Because his poems were often written as ecstatic love songs from God to his beloved world, many have called Hafiz the tongue of the invisible, so I thought that would be appropriate. Daniel Ladinsky, who has translated many of his texts, has said that his work with Hafiz is an attempt to do the impossible, to render light into words to make the luminous resonance of God tangible to our finite senses. So, I mean, that's quite a description from somebody who has spent a lot, a lot, a lot of time with this material. 
We are talking all about the invisible this show, so I thought today would be perfect to get in tune with that greatest invisible force, that of spirit. As the cracks in the facade of so-called civilized society become ever wider to reveal pieces of the sometimes very ugly truth below, I think we have all felt moments of depression, desperation, worry, as we contemplate this material realm. And yet, here is a reminder that we are all so much more than dense material beings. Hafiz is one of those poets that is truly soul-stirring and yet whimsical and lighthearted, which is so powerful against those heavy or darker energies. This poem just makes my heart feel so full and inspired, so I wanted to share that uplifting vibe with everybody. Mysterious, alluring, and divine, the power of invisibility has echoed throughout human history from the most ancient mythologies, rituals, and religions to modern comic books, movies, and technological advancement. I'm sure we have all at some point fantasized about the ability to become seen or unseen at will. Let's all take just a moment now to reflect on it. Ask yourself if you could be invisible, what would you do? Many may have imagined a scenario involving power, wealth, lust, or even escapism. Now, without any self-judgment, notice your body's feeling and depth of reaction upon pondering such possibilities. This is a mysterious and timeless longing shared amongst humans all across the globe. So together, let's look at some of the accounts and inspiration that invoke this strange human aspiration in the hearts of us today. When exploring the topic of invisibility, historically, you are almost immediately thrust into the world of spirits. This seems to be a power that almost every culture on the planet ascribe to otherworldly or extra-dimensional beings. Whether it be gods or goddesses, angels, demons, ancestors, ghosts, jinn, fairies, or nature spirits, one thing they all have in common is invisibility. Other examples are almost always accredited to relics of power, either ritually enchanted by some kind of sorcerer, or a remnant technology from a lost older world civilization. In many cases, these artifacts are manufactured or gifted by one of the previously mentioned non-human entities. One of the most popular examples being the magic ring. This concept was made famous in modern times by the English author and scholar J.R.R. Tolkien in his epic high fantasy novels The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings. This idea, however, was inspired by much older accounts of rings of power from antiquity. Mm. The Greek philosopher Plato described in his work The Republic Book II an artifact referred to as the Ring of Gyges. Here's what Philip Ball in his book titled Invisible, The Dangerous Allure of the Unseen has to say about it. In Plato's Republic, he, or rather his narrator Glaucon, explains that invisibility is not a technical problem, but a moral one. There are several accounts of how Gyges, the ancestor of King Croesus of Lydia, 
rose from humble origins to found the third dynasty of Lydian kings in the first millennium BC. All of them present him as a usurper and several say he was driven by lust, both carnal and political. Gyges, it is generally agreed, stole from Candaules of Lydia both his throne and his wife. According to Herodotus, the old king brought it upon himself by ordering Gyges, who was his bodyguard at the time, to look secretly upon his queen so that he might be compelled to admit her outstanding beauty. Gyges complied unwillingly, but the queen discovered him in his hiding place, and enraged by her husband's shameful behavior, gave Gyges the option of killing the king or being put to death himself. It's pretty brutal. I mean, <laughs> so, just I mean, like, check out my hot wife. <laughs> she just death. makes him literally murder him. <laughs> yeah, uh, he could hardly be blamed for the choice he made. But Plato's account does not offer these extenuating circumstances. His Gyges begins as a shepherd in Candaules. Candaules? I don't know how. I'm just kind of saying it, going for it. While Gyges was tending his flock one day, an earthquake split the ground apart and he descended into the crevice. There he saw a horse made of bronze with doors in its side and opening them, the dead body of a naked man laying inside, yuck, with a gold ring on his finger. Gyges took the ring and put it on. Tartarian tomb. I mean, so the ground split open. This was like under the earth already. This is just some ancient bronze horse in the ground. After returning to the world above, Gyges met with his fellow shepherds, as was their custom, to prepare a monthly report on their flocks for the king. While sitting among his colleagues, he happened to turn the rings kale, I guess, which is the broad flange where a gem may be set, towards his palm, whereupon he vanished from the sight of the company. When he turned the collet outwards, he became visible once again. Mm -hmm. That was all it took for Gyges to hatch a bold and mendacious scheme. He contrived to be made one of the messengers who delivered the report to the king, whereupon Plato's version lurches precipitously from bucolic fable to Sophoclean tragedy. Ooh. Oh. <laughs> as soon as he arrived, Plato writes, Gyges committed adultery with the king's wife. <laughs> Immediately. Uh, yeah, attacked the king with her help, killed him, and took over the kingdom. And he must be throwing some good ghost dick. He was just <laughs> was like really invisible, quick. started like banging his really wife. Fast. And it was so good that she was like, kill my fucking husband because <laughs> I need some more of that. We need to take over the kingdom immediately. <laughs> oh boy. So these crimes we are clearly meant to infer were all done with the aid of Gyges' ring of invisibility. The moral of the tale, says Glaucon, is that with such a magical charm, no one, and here begins the quote, 
would be so incorruptible that he would stay on the path of justice or bring himself to keep away from other people's property and not touch it when he could with impunity take whatever he wanted from the market, go into houses and have sexual relations with anyone he wanted, oh boy, kill anyone, ah, free all those he wished from prison and do the other things which would make him like a god among men. Uh, but I, I don't know. I don't, you know, that's says a lot more about Plato, I think, than it does about the ring. Well, <laughs> it's yeah. like, um, I mean, well, that's clearly what you would do. But like, I don't think I would do that. Um, I, I think I could I think, think of some better things to do with my time. I think a lot of the Republic is him really reflecting on like moral questions as a human being. So I think this is like a great story for him to use to explore just a lot of the temptations you would have if you had the ability to be invisible. Right. No, I mean, just conceptually, it is definitely interesting to think about. Another fascinating artifact of the unseen from Greek mythology is referred to as the Helm of Darkness, Cap of Hades, or the Cap of Invisibility. The story of its creation says that Zeus's brother Hades, whose name actually means the Unseen One, Oh, that's interesting. was extremely skilled at navigating the inner Earth realms. So he was chosen to lead his siblings into Tartarus, Tartarus. With, with the intention of freeing three elder Cyclops brothers named Argus, meaning bright, Brontes, meaning thunder, and Steropes, meaning lightning bolt. And forgive some of my pronunciations, I'm sure they're not right. Tartarus is a fascinating subject, and for those of you exploring any of the topics involving the whole Tartarian or Old World Reset theories, I promise you'll find some interesting threads here to explore. The Greeks considered Tartarus both a deity being the unbounded first existing entity from which the light and the cosmos are born. Oh, that was called Tartarus? Tartarus. That's and interesting. They also believe that Tartarus was a deep abyss in the underworld or hollow earth, used as a dungeon when Kronos came to power, hmm. which kind of reminds me of the whole Book of Enoch sealing the angels inside the earth. But anyways, the Olympians were successful in their endeavors, and as a reward for setting the three Cyclops brothers free, the brothers crafted three legendary weapons to aid the gods in the upcoming War of the Titans. They crafted for Zeus the legendary Thunderbolt, giving him the power to shear mountains, vaporize islands, incinerate entire cities, and even boil the seas. Mm. For Poseidon, they crafted a trident with the powers to create gigantic tsunamis, tidal waves, earthquakes, droughts, and raging floodwaters. Lastly, for the god Hades, they created the Helm of Darkness, a relic very unlike the previous weapons. Argus the Elder Cyclops spoke, The weapon we crafted for you is nothing to scoff at, young lord. 
It may not seem useful for you now because you're still young and your head is still full of songs. But when the war begins and you mature, you'll soon find out that sometimes the horrors in the night are much more dangerous than lightning or earthquakes could ever be. This fearsome helm was forged out of celestial bronze, decorated with scenes of death and destruction. It would grant whoever uses it the power to become completely invisible, inaudible, and intangible. Hades could use it to pass through walls and melt into the shadows not to be seen or heard by anyone, even the other gods. The cap of invisibility became an essential technology throughout the events of Greek mythology, assisting Perseus in slaying Medusa, Hermes in his battle with the giant Hippolytos, and Athena uses the Helmet of Darkness to help Diomedes. And I felt like these two examples would give you a flavor for what I find really interesting in this topic that comes up over and over again in many of the alternative history, paranormal, or conspiracy communities. You have inner sanctums, a transfer of technologies from giant or old world beings, a cosmic war between godlike entities, and to bring it back to the hot topic of Tartaria, these artifacts are exactly the kind of reset technology people are theorizing about today. I mean, like earlier, what was it that the, the one said it sheared the top of mountains off? And I don't know. I feel like you could imagine what the effects of that would look like. Yeah, I mean, the Greeks literally say the gods use these items to cause massive floods and cataclysms that reset and controlled humanity. Even Zeus's thunderbolt seems more like a sound or frequency weapon to me, or maybe even some kind of plasma death ray that could easily melt bricks and stone. Yeah, totally. I mean, honestly, looking at what we are dealing with today, how do we know that these same powers aren't still controlling the world? Could the global elites be using these same kinds of reverse-engineered technologies from the past? Could these same so-called gods or their offspring still be around, controlling the weather and using devices like Hades' helmet to go unseen, undetected and unnoticed, controlling the world from the shadows? I mean, it's honestly mind-blowing how many examples there are of invisibility technology used by deities and heroes all over the world. Yeah, totally. I mean, I don't know. I, I think that one thing that I know is that I definitely don't know what the heck is going on out there. Um, and I think that there's a lot of nuggets to find in history. <laughs> there's a lot of nuggets of wisdom. To, what is that? I can't say nugget. <laughs> Describe me. Yeah. That's good. <laughs> there's lots of, I mean, honestly, there's lots of like little nuggets of wisdom throughout history. And I think we do probably have at least part of the story. The question is which part of it. So I don't know. And I'm honestly personally in the opinion that a lot of these poems and stories that we throw into the category of folklore 
fables, the whole fabled remedies thing, mythology, are way more true and to the point than we want to give them credit because the academic view today is, well, technology like that didn't exist then, so that's bullshit. Or, right. you know, like, these people just made this shit up to yeah. have fun and that's why they preserved them and made them the most important stories to an entire advanced culture I, th- I don't think they would do that unless these stories may have metaphysical and symbolic meaning but I think a lot of them were just telling the truth straight up and we just say that they were bullshitting yeah well here's a few examples to ponder Native American Apache legends tell a story about how Child of the Water gets a cloak from Lizard, enabling him to get near to the monster buffalo without being seen. Thanks, Lizard. cloak. In the Sanskrit storybook, Katha Sarit Sagara, or Ocean of Story, of Somadeva, the Brahmin Gunar Sarman becomes invisible by putting a magic ointment on his eyes. Yeah, and that reminds me of the story from episode three about the origins of ayahuasca, where the shaman was taken under the lake by reptilian people that put a ointment in his eyes. AKA best husband ever. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Another medieval European belief was that fern seeds conferred invisibility, but the seed itself was also supposed to be invisible, so anyone who could find this seed and carry it would also become invisible. That's very interesting. Very interesting. The fern was said to bloom at midnight on the eve of the summer solstice and went to seed soon after. The seeker of the seed had to avoid touching it or letting it fall on the ground. A white cloth had to be placed under the plant for the invisible seed to fall on. It could then be wrapped up and carried around, rendering the owner invisible. Shakespeare, Ben Jonson, Beaumont, and Fletcher all have references in their plays to fern seeds conferring invisibility and this belief continued in folklore centuries later and that one's really interesting i mean we'll have to try that out next year yeah i mean there's a lot of ferns I mean, in the woods if anyone's done this <laughs> and well go give it, a it go. turns you invisible let us know send <laughs> us a message we're going to take a quick music break but we will be right back with another cryptic carnival sideshow You're listening to my song, Hologram Hitchhiker. Make sure to go over to fabledremedies.com. You can find links to all of our original music and artwork. Thank you so much for supporting the show. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls of all ages, now I would like to introduce to you another cryptid carnival sideshow.
The Takriaksuit are also known as the shadow people. They live like we do in a world like our own. Their world, however, is beyond our perception. They're almost never seen, but sometimes when conditions are right, the Takriaksuit can be heard. Have you ever heard the sounds of footsteps or the sound of talking or laughing in the distance, but see no one around? Maybe it was the Takriaksuit. This being straddles the barrier between the worlds, and they exist partially in the material world and the spirit world. While a Takriaksuit moves through the spirit world, he is shadowed on the material world by an intangible, invisible portion of his essence. If a Takriaksuit travels to the material world, a similar intangible shadow moves on the spirit world. As such, they can perceive both planes at the same time. Sometimes these shy beings are noticed or people sense their presence. When this happens, the Takriaksuit seems to disappear into the ground and vanish. Stories tell us that some Inuit have crossed over into their world, but few have ever returned to tell us what it is like. It is said that, for the most part, they are the same as any other human being. Their bodies are dark gray, resembling silhouettes more than anything, shadowy and indistinct around the edges. If you look closely, you can actually see through them. Their heads are featureless, but for two softly glowing pools of white in the shape of eyes. They have nose and mouths, but their indistinct form renders them indistinguishable from the rest of their bodies. They eat and breathe just like normal people, but food just disappears as they take bites. They are usually dressed in typical Inuit clothing, crafted of leather and hides. Their clothes are fully real, unlike their hazy bodies. They have houses, families, weapons, tools, and more. Where they deviate from normal people, however, is that they are not visible by looking straight at them. In looking directly at them, they either disappear into the separate world which they occupy, apart from our own, or they are only seen for the shadow they cast. They only become visible if they are killed. Aside from the strange condition of their visibility, it is also known that they can only catch prey while hunting on foot. Takriaksuit are wise, but their semi-real bodies make them somewhat weak and they generally come off as creepy. That article was from InuitMyths.com, which if you're not familiar, the Inuit are a group of culturally similar indigenous peoples inhabiting the Arctic and subarctic regions of Greenland, Canada, and Alaska. And the Inuit languages are part of the Eskimo Aleut languages, which are really cool because they have it written out on the website in addition to English, all of the different stories. And uh, it looks really wild. I definitely encourage you to check it out. There's lots of geometry in there. It looks 
pretty wild. It definitely looks like some alien hieroglyphics. Although it was originally only a spoken language, as many languages are. And so whatever this is apparently was not developed until after missionaries came. That's a really interesting cryptid because it's almost like their invisibility is less of a power and more of a result of just their living situation. They're almost like hanging in between this world and like a sub-dimension and it depends on what angle you're looking at them from. These beings still have to hunt and eat and maintain a physical form, but it's almost blended with the spiritual one. Totally. So I thought, you know, talking about invisibility today, that that was a very fascinating group to talk about. And now let's take a moment to look at a few examples of religious or ritual techniques for obtaining the powers of invisibility. I also want to go ahead and give a content warning here because some of these rituals are kind of strange and kind of dark, and it may be uncomfortable for some of our listeners. We do not recommend trying any of these, and we're just going to bring them up for educational purposes and because they're weird and entertaining, and it's, it's cool to know what kind of ideas people had about these topics. Yeah, invisibility is pretty broad interpretation of you can always go and gather some fern seeds though and if it harms none do what thou wilt as they say another persistent folk belief was the power of what was called the hand of glory this was a dried or pickled hand of a dead criminal that was hanged on the gallows yuck yeah And uh, sometimes the fingers of the hand were used as candles and robbers were supposed to be invisible if they carried this gruesome hand with them and a candle made from the fat of this hanged man. Uh, I feel like even if visibly you were invisible, like, I don't think that would, I feel like it would smell. Yeah. That I mean, sounds, it could just make people run the fuck yuck. away because you're yeah, carrying this creepy, nasty hand candle around with you, you know? <laughs> fucking hand candle. So like, yeah, I'm like, not going to mess with that guy. I, like, if know. I see somebody coming with a hand candle, I'm not going to yeah, acknowledge his presence. I'm just going to shoot him. Like, I'm, I'm always packing heat. So. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Keep your hand candle to yourself. (laughs) Anyways, so pretty much any book about ritual magic beliefs that you'll find will have a spell of invisibility in it. And some of these rituals that I'm going to go over will be a little bit watered down for the audience because I just want to give you a feel for some of these. We're not going to say all of the spirit or demon or angel names and yeah not trying to soften it up a little bit but we want to keep it authentic enough for you to get a taste and a flavor for these types of text you can always buy them and read them at your own consent you know one of the most notorious grimoires of the middle ages is called the book of picatrix and I'm going to go ahead and give this horrific recipe to you please don't do this at home and Lucy hates this one yeah, not uh, a fan. We do not encourage violence to any animals or any beings, but anyone interested in grimoires knows that things get pretty fucking weird. So in the book of Picatrix to achieve invisibility, it says that you should take a rabbit on the 24th night of the Arabian month, sacrifice it while facing the moon, mm. 
and you would call upon a specific angelic spirit. You would then mix the blood of this rabbit with its bile, and then you would bury the body well, it says, because if it is exposed to the sunlight, the spirit of the moon will kill you. The spirit of the moon. That's what it says. Hmm. So that? make sure to bury it good. Yuck. Don't uh, do it at all. <laughs> don't do this. Yeah. <laughs> it's probably Informational not Informational purposes, seriously. <laughs> but uh, to make yourself invisible, then you would anoint your face with these bodily fluids and you will make yourself totally hidden from sight and in this way you will be able to achieve whatever you desire it says so Mm. so know that somewhere out there in the pages of history there is at least one dude who has done this thing i would say who wrote the book i don't know it's it's good to know the type of world we live in people in the odd corners of the occult this manuscript is one of the most popular honestly no I, so. exactly a another manuscript titled la secret des secrets in oh, the sounds uh, pretty secret that's pretty secret <laughs> double secret, <laughs> double secret. <laughs> twice secret <laughs> this is in the library of arsenal in france It contains a chapter devoted to the secrets of invisibility. Surprise, surprise. It consists of a spell in Latin which opens with over 30 mystical names, preferably written in bat's blood. And any of y'all doing modern day rituals know that at most occult shops, they actually sell a ink that's called bat's blood, but it's not bat's blood. It's all plants cool use it up (laughs) and (laughs) then it continues in a mixture of christian and pagan traditions with an invocation translated as oh thou master of invisibility with thy masters here follows the names of the masters mentioned before i conjure thee and these same masters of invisibility by him who makes the universe tremble by heaven and earth, cherubim and seraphim, and by him who made the virgin conceive, and who is God and man, that I may accomplish this experiment in perfectibility, in such short that at any hour I desire I may be invisible. Again I conjure thee and thy ministers, that thou come straight away with thy said ministers, and that thou perform this work as you all know how, and that this experiment may make me invisible in such ways that no one may see me. Hmm. I would be interested, it says over 30 mystical names, I wonder like how many exactly it is. <laughs> If there's like some numerology, like is it 33 names or... <laughs> Probably 33. Like there's layers of meaning there. And I thought that one's interesting because you're invoking all these angels and demons and the ultimate God. But then it refers to, uh, it says, perform this work as you all know how. So it's like all these spirits know how to do it. Who are the invisible ministers? Help me do it. Who are these invisible ministers? 
Another interesting text discussing invisibility is the Grimorium Verum, or the true grimoire of the 16th century or earlier, containing the following instructions for magic. To make oneself invisible, collect seven black beans. Begin the ritual on a Wednesday before sunrise. Then take the head of a dead man, yuck, and put the beans in his mouth, eyes, and ears. Pretty brutal. Yeah, gnarly. <laughs> um, then you draw a specific figure on his head and afterward bury the head with the face upward and for nine days before sunrise, water it each morning with good brandy. So I guess you're sort of like, you know, I'm using your head, but I'm honoring you. Giving it some light bait. Pouring one out for the homie. Well, yeah. I mean, and I'm hoping that this isn't somebody that you murdered. Like if this is like posted, I don't know. I'm not a fan of like, you know, I think people magic is gross. On the eighth day, you will find the spirit mentioned who will say to you, what wilt thou? You will reply, I am watering my plant. Then the spirit will say, give me the bottle. I desire to water it myself. In response, refuse him, even though he will ask you again. Then he will reach out with his hand and will show you the same figure which you had drawn upon the head. Now you can be certain that this is the right spirit, the spirit of the head. There is a danger that some other spirit might try to trick you, which would have evil consequences. And in that case, your operation would not succeed. Like you're getting this ghost drunk and you got to like make sure it specifically says to watch out for like trickster spirits that can manifest and be pretending to be the spirit of the head. You got to make sure you have the correct drunk ghost. Exactly. Then you may give him the bottle and he will water the head and depart. On the next day, which is the ninth, when you return, you will find that the beans are germinating. Take them and put them in your mouth to make yourself invisible. Yeah, that one's pretty wild. (laughs) Yeah, I don't think I would want, like, I'm into sprouted food and everything, but not if it happened inside the head of a dead person. Yeah, didn't you you find something else really interesting about black beans? Yeah, well, because I was thinking about it, I feel like I had read somewhere or heard somewhere that read about like the magical powers of beans or something or how they were revered in different cultures. So I found on this site about kundalini yoga that black garbanzos, black beans, same as in the story that we just read, these black garbanzos grow at high altitude in northern India, and during the rainy season, lightning plays over the fields so much people dare not to go near. This is said to charge this food with tremendous amounts of prana, or energy. According to Yogi Bhajan, black garbanzos are very good for the nervous system and help to control the electromagnetic field of the body. Perhaps there's like some th- something interesting there. They are the most powerfully energizing food in the world and they are very good for health. 
Yogi Bhajan commented that by eating these beans, you can walk through walls. Wow. So. And that's why, because, I mean, what is a ghost other than the conscious electromagnetic field of the individual? And it's specifically saying that these beans could be charged with lightning, which here we go. We have the whole thunderbolt of Zeus over here charging the beans. Absolutely. So I got that from an article, 10 Foods to Raise Your Kundalini. Mm, Cool. John Aubrey provides another recipe for invisibility that is allegedly from a Rosicrucian source. And he says to take on Midsummer Night at midnight, which is just like the fern seeds, Mm. which is interesting. Interesting. Astrologically, when all the planets are above the earth, you take a serpent and kill him. You then skin him and dry its skin in the shade. You then take the skin and you bring it to a powder, I assume alchemically, Mm. and then hold it in your hand and you will be invisible. Interesting. And that was like the Apache thing from earlier where she gets a serpent. serpent. Yeah, serpents, lizards. That's a running theme that you'll find with a lot of these stories. Solstice. The Book of Abramelin tells the story of Abraham of Worms, or I believe it's Abraham von Worms. I believe it's von Worms. Yeah, that's it. Um, It tells a story of a German Jew who traveled for 10 years seeking the wisdom of the divine arts before he ended up meeting an Egyptian mage named Abramelin, who taught him a marvelous system of the sacred sciences. While on Abraham's travels, he met many colorful individuals practicing different forms of ritual magic. One being a devil-worshipping bohemian. The bohemian grove. Yeah, Mm -hmm. they're still out there. A quote from the book reports, That impious bohemian performed astounding feats. He could render himself invisible. He used to fly in the air. He could enter through keyholes into locked up rooms. Later, the teachings from Abramel and the Mage describe a long and rather intense period of cleansing and purifying oneself. This is in preparation to invoke and summon an encounter with the practitioner's holy guardian angel. Once a relationship is made with this angel, further rituals and techniques are given. For example, in Book 2, Chapter 10, it reads, To make oneself invisible to one's enemies. It says, During your flight from them, remove your left shoe. Circle it seven times around your face and head. Then you face your enemy, and in the air strike out against him seven times, while speaking Adonai. Punish the wise in their duties, and destroy the advance of the hypocrite, that they walk in darkness during the day, and reach out at midday as if it were night. It then says, you will see great wonders, the blindness of your enemies will be in your benefit. About running from your enemies, I feel like they'd have to be pretty far away. 
in order to oh yeah it seems like a lot to do have like the cops are running behind <laughs> you about to taser you and you're like hold on hold on hold on and you like take <laughs> off your shoe start circling your head seven times you know i imagine like they're in pursuit like tracking you or something yeah, or they're yeah. like across the field or something like that and you're like oh shit i got you now boy Later on, in book 4, chapter 14, it gives directions on how to craft a magical square. This is a small grid in which names of spirits or symbols representing them are placed to form particular patterns. This would then be placed under your cap or carried in your pocket to make you invisible. In early Christianity, a magical power like invisibility was often considered demonic or witchcraft, but occasionally the power was attributed to some saints. The dialogues of Pope Gregory the Great in the 6th century are full of these dubious miracles. A monk, for example, becomes invisible when a group of Franks arrive to plunder his riches. Also, St. Patrick is said to have eluded the druid wizards of Ireland with an invisibility spell. A final old text that discusses invisibility that I wanted to mention is the second book of the Secrets of Albertus Magnus. Um, who's from the 13th century, contains an interesting formula. If thou wilt be made invisible, take the stone, which is called Ophthalminus, and wrap it in the leaf of the laurel or bay tree. And it is called Lapis Obtelmicus, whose color is not named, for it is of many colors, and it is of such virtue that it blindeth the sights of them that stand about. Constantinus, carrying this in his hand, was made invisible therewith. So, while lapis lazuli is a commonly known stone that was used significantly in ancient Egypt, searches into lapis obtelmicus reveal only references from this work and our minds open to explore. Perhaps it was one of these three stones known as the Invisibility Gem Trio. A gal named Sage Goddess discusses several iconic pieces. Uh-oh, sounds like a pretty academically trusting sword. <laughs> well, that's what... I'm going to tie it into academics, but it's, it's interesting <laughs> how it comes up in a lot of different uh, contexts, shall we say. So, uh, one of the crystals of invisibility is topaz. This is a stone of manifestation and success when it is directed toward the highest good of all. The stone brings clarity to your path and purpose. And interestingly, the ancient Romans adorned their soldiers' armor with topaz because they believed it would keep them unseen in battle. Another stone of invisibility is peacock ore, also called the witch's stone, which is really, really beautiful. So peacock ore heals, aligns, and attunes you to sacred energies. So when we clear out dense energy, we become less visible to those who are bogged down by their own dense energy. 
And then the final crystal in this invisibility trio, also known as Iceland spar, is optical calcite. So here from Sage Goddess, she discusses how optical calcite brings clear sight to help you see the true nature of all things, especially yourself and reality, um, a stone of clarity, amplification, and neutrality. But one thing that I think is very interesting is there are many examples in advanced technology today where they are using optical calcite in order to perform feats of invisibility. Calcite has long been known to have unique optical properties, including the ability to bend or refract a ray of light differently depending on the light's polarization. These properties can cause the phenomenon of double refraction or seeing doubles when looking through calcite with regular unpolarized light. In this research, the two pieces of calcite were oriented to bend the light in such a way that the emerging beam, after going through multiple reflections and refractions, appeared to be coming directly from the original mirror at the base of the setup, rather than the actual higher point above the hidden object. The total optical path was also preserved, which means no scientific optical instrument can possibly uncover the cloaked wedge. In principle, the researcher says, the same method could be used in real-life situations to conceal an object from view, and the only limitation on the size of the hidden object is the size of the calcite crystal that's available. The team used a small crystal in the study, however, the largest known natural crystal of calcite measures 7 by 7 meters or more than 21 feet across. Yeah, so they, they round it out by saying, aside from its obvious potential applications in defense or law enforcement, mm. yeah, the ability for to- For our protection. <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> we, you don't need to see us for your protection. Yeah, we need to be invisible <laughs> for your protection. So he says, the ability to render something invisible could have uses in research, such as providing a way to monitor animal behavior without any visible distraction uh so, so uh, people yeah the public <laughs> like we're gonna be we're animal gonna animals we totally won't use it on humans yeah definitely not the optical calcite i think is really interesting because there's all these ritual and metaphysical ideas of how you can use calcite and then also now you have these examples in modern times of them using them to actually make technology that achieves invisibility and we just assume that people in the past were dumb and that they weren't literally saying that hey we can use this calcite to be invisible we're just like well they they couldn't make technology back then right they so were totally using metaphors to, yeah it has to be magic or a metaphor and it's like well maybe they really were just doing the same thing and we're just having rediscoveries in modern times because there's a team of researchers in denmark that are using calcite crystals to make 
a kind of invisibility cloak right now. And there's a bunch of examples that you can go down the rabbit hole with that. Well, talking about cloaking, there has recently been planned what has been dubbed the world's first invisible tower. So this is a building designed by GDS Architects. It's a 1,500-foot skyscraper called Tower Infinity, which is planned for the city of Seoul in South Korea. And the way they're doing this is the building is covered with banks of cameras and LEDs on the glass facade so that it could project itself into invisibility. So granted, this would probably only be perfect from certain viewing locations, but construction has been granted approval and with seeing everything that they can do with holograms these days i mean i'm very fascinated to see how this building turns out and since with so many things in technology what we're finding out about is actually something that's existed for quite some time in black projects and whatnot it makes me think like okay so how many invisible buildings are already out there you know oh yeah like do they allude to what they're going to use this for is it just to like prove a point like hey we can make an invisible building it's supposed to be for um like tourism they're going to put stores and stuff in it i think it's just supposed we got to have an invisible starbucks and mcdonald's yeah basically but i've heard some really weird stories on other podcasts where people way out in like state parks and uh, national forests have encountered almost like these walls like these reflective canvas walls that make it almost like they're cloaking something in it from a distance it looks like trees and mountains but if you actually get closer to these things it seems like it's some type of reflective invisible holographic cloaking device that can actually cover up like whole pieces of the landscape like a whole mountain maybe it just looks like that because there's actually a building there and it just looks like the mountain yeah so there's that company quantum stealth which we found which is some guy who was doing some experiments and he discovered a specific type of lens that basically you can hold up in front of you and it appears to show the background behind you but not the object or the person that's like holding the thing and it's funny because he talks about his process of trying to shop this around to different military people and try to basically like sell it to the army and he talks about how he had such a hard time nobody would take him up on it and he was like oh why is nobody investing in this wonderful advancement that I've made and how could they possibly not see the applications for this but in my mind, I'm like, dude, they already have that stuff. Yeah, they probably were just like, <laughs> They've already got it. <laughs> this shit's weak, you know? Like, yeah. <laughs> but it's pretty cool. He's uh, making, like, riot shields out of this, and you can't see the people, like, holding it. And he talks about how they're developing them where they could put them on the front of, like, a, a tank or a military vehicle, and it would basically 
bend the light in a way where you can't see what's behind it. It's not super clean, but it does work. Especially, like you said, if it was, you know, out in the middle of the forest where nobody's usually passing by there anyways. If it was, like, from a distance and there was, like, a huge one of these things, it would be really hard to tell that there was something there, and I think it really would work. It's definitely an interesting example of... Something this that technology. already exists. Yeah, this technology that's current. Um, and it's going to be sold to the public, apparently. Yeah. And what was that called again? Quantum Stealth is the material, and his company is Hyper Stealth Biotechnology. Okay, so far we have talked about the mystical, the ritual, the technological, the religious aspects of invisibility. But here at the end, I wanted to take a moment to talk about a few different concepts within the area of the psychological impact and function of invisibility. It is already known that the human brain is capable of processing complete images in just 13 thousandths of a second. However, with the incredible amount of information that we are surrounded by at all times, our conscious brain discards more than 99% of the sensory information it perceives. Meaning that the majority of the information we are surrounded by is invisible to our conscious mind. This is a little slice of an article from medicaldaily.com that explains that concept a little bit more. Memory in the brain evolved to serve survival. Instead of storing memories in a memory bank, the brain incorporates experiences into associational networks so that lessons from the past experience can inform effective action when the time is right. One type of information that the human brain can store is declarative knowledge, which are facts and beliefs about the world inferred from observation or from what other people tell us. So the facts one learns in school are forms of declarative knowledge. So what that means is our minds take all of this declarative knowledge, all of the information that has been presented to us by our community, by our family as what is important, what is relevant, and then all of our perceptions are filtered through that declarative knowledge. So what that means is things that fall outside the purview of your declarative knowledge are therefore unseen by your conscious mind. It doesn't even pick up on them. And you can think about this in your own life. For example, you may have noticed when you get a new vehicle that all of a sudden you start seeing that car on the road everywhere, even though you never noticed it before. Or for me, when I got pregnant with our son, all of a sudden I started seeing pregnant women everywhere. And that was because it wasn't that they weren't there before. It's just that I wasn't seeing them because I wasn't attuned to that information. So I think that's an interesting concept because... In any experience where you can think about some new fact or information that you learned, whether it's about like alternative um, theories of history or of 
alternative understandings of power structures that suddenly you see the world in a totally different way. Suddenly this new world emerges that has been there all along. You just didn't see it and it was invisible to you. Yeah, it's almost like the culture that you are born and raised in is a, a pair of glasses that allow you to only see the world in a certain way. And I think a lot of us in these alternative communities are, you know, we call it taking the red pill, but we're taking off the glasses of our cultural systems and we're trying to pick up on what's been invisible to us the whole time. Another passage from the book Invisible by Philip Ball discusses the psychological development of concepts of invisibility in children. I'll just read a selection. Both the antiquity of speculations about invisibility and its ubiquity as a trope of children's tales should come as no surprise because a belief in one's ability to become unseen seems to be an innate and normal part of the child's mental landscape. Invisible friends and pets give solace to most children at some point, and children up to about the age of four can disappear at will, so they insist, simply by closing or masking their eyes. As is so often the case with the ways of children, understanding this apparently puerile irrationality seems likely to cast some light on our own cognitive processes. Psychologist James Russell and his co-workers say that children undergo a developmental period in which they believe the self is something that must be mutually experienced for it to be perceived. One might read this as a more general statement about social visibility and its absence. The child's belief in her own invisibility with closed eyes turns out to be an epistemologically complex statement. The child does not exactly think that her body is hidden from view, whether or not she can be seen is a different matter from whether or not her body is visible. This subtle relationship between body and self becomes clear when Russell and his colleagues tested children aged between two and a half and four by placing masks over the children's eyes and asking, can I see you? In that situation, the children would generally say no, but if asked, can I see your head? They would typically reply in the affirmative. They gave the same responses in relation to a third person whose eyes were masked. Can I see them? No. Can I see their head? Yes. Further suggesting that for children, the act of seeing a person, which is to say of knowing about the person's presence, depends on a mutuality of gaze. The child believes that only when an observer locks eyes with her can he register her actuality. To put it another way, for the person to be seen, it is not enough for the body to be visible. Seeing is eyes meeting. I love that part. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, he goes on to discuss how extraordinary it is that the self is not located from birth in the physical body. 
that we have to learn to put it there. I don't know. I just think that's cool that um, it, it really, we start out as considering ourselves more of the soul that you can only connect with through locking eyes. And that's something that unfortunately in our society today, we have less and less personal contact, less and less eye contact, less facial recognition, all of those hundreds of tiny muscles of your face that allow us to understand each other on a much deeper level than just the words that are coming out of our mouth. And um, that's something that we have been losing with all of these changes in society. And that affects children's developmental processes and how they think about themselves as an individual and how they understand relationships with other people. So this led me to think about how we do interact with huge numbers of people in our lives, but most of us present only a small sliver, a specific aspect of who we really are, our totality as a human to most others. So it's kind of like we're casting a spell of invisibility on our true self because we have the fear of not being accepted by our community and by our families and by the world that we are functioning in. Absolutely. And by interacting with so many people and only presenting a portion of yourself, that leads to feelings of invisibility because your true self is not being seen. It's just this one aspect of you. That's like, oh, maybe that's the work you or the bar you or the um, the family dinner you. And uh, so who gets to interact with the fullness of you? And if it's not very many people, then that leads to feelings of not being seen. So how then do we mitigate this? How do we shift into places where we feel more seen and validated by others? Well, there's a quote that I really love by Mahatma Gandhi, which is, happiness is when what you think, what you say, and what you do are in harmony. And to me, that is pretty deep because it goes into, I mean, I use cognitive behavioral therapy throughout the week, every week. And basically that's about understanding your thoughts, connecting to your emotions, connecting to your actions, which is really exactly what this quote is talking about because it's getting your thoughts, your speech, and your actions into alignment. If you are doing and saying things that don't match with what you actually think and feel inside, then that's a recipe for losing that connection to self and becoming this sort of false self. However, if you really express your true self, like express the way that you really think, you just say things that way. And if you do the things that are actually important to you and your personal values, that is a way of reconnecting with 
and expressing your true self to others. And there are powers in this world that want nothing more than to keep your actions and your voices from being heard and seen. So at this time especially, I really want to encourage everyone to be brave enough to be yourself, to take off your invisibility cloak, share what you have to share with the world, make art, make your voice known, and take off all of these shackles that were given to you at birth and be brave enough to just be seen because you're beautiful life isn't that bad express the beauty within no matter how weird it is (laughs) be brave be strong be compassionate and let's make the best of this mystical situation we find ourselves in we thank you for tuning in to another episode of fabled remedies we apologize that we've had a little bit of break in between our content we have a bunch (laughs) of new episodes and new side projects that we are working on to hopefully start releasing to you guys and you're going to see our content pick up we appreciate you tuning in check out fabledremedies.com and please contact us with any weird stories we would love to start sharing some listener stories ask us questions connect with us we're on this together and we're excited that we can share this experience with you so till next time this is fabled remedies thanks everyone (laughs) 